I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, is Disney's dividend in danger? That is a $3 billion question as an activist investor takes aim. We'll tell you about the bold call to unlock some serious magic for investors. Plus, we're tracking the treatment. Shares of Eli Lilly jumping as the company looks to fast-track its COVID antibody drug. What Lilly's CEO told us about a timeline. And later, hot profits and cold pizza, the one fast food stock serving up some serious gains thanks to leftovers. We start off with a massive market rally on Wall Street. The Dow finishing the day up more than 500 points, having its best day since July, while the S&P 500 and Nasdaq moving more than one and a half percent higher. The rally driven in part by President Trump, who made an about face on stimulus, putting aid back in play before the November election. So can we expect this rally to continue? And Guy, you know what really struck me about today's rally? Is that we closed? What's that, Mel? We closed nine points higher than where we opened the session yesterday. It's like we're better off today, hoping for piecemeal parts of the stimulus plan than we were yesterday. Yeah, and, and I and I made a point, albeit a clumsy one, about yesterday that President Trump, in my opinion, is extraordinarily focused on the stock market. One of the things I've said, and the administration has said it for years now, that. The stock market is a report card for how well they're doing. So for him to tweet something and then to watch the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which he's laser focused on, go down almost 600 points in a straight line, it had to be upsetting. I thought he would do something to sort of assuage a concern to the market. I didn't think it would happen six hours later, but here we are. So I think they've learned how to speak the language of the stock market. And to your point, nothing has changed, but here we are incrementally higher and I think they understand that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not here to tell you a deal's going to get done. I don't know. But I think the rhetoric will continue in a way that keeps the stock market buoyed for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Karen, what did you make of the rally? I mean, it seemed like everything went up today. Industrials, a number of them hitting new all-time highs in today's session. I mean, it was just, uh, I don't want to say mind-boggling because I cast judgment on, on this rally. But it is amazing um, <laughs> what the market can move on. Uh, based on, on some stimulus talks that might or might not happen, some piecemeal parts of the package that might or might not happen. <clears throat> right, a tweet reversal. I mean, I, it is kind of amazing. You know, random walk down Wall Street didn't at all, I think, fathom what a tweet storm could do uh, to the market. But so stimulus, of course, I think has been the number one thing that's been driving the market in the very, very short term. The second is coronavirus news. Uh, both the president's recovery and also the number of cases. So that's somewhat mixed. Um, but the Lilly news was very good. And then the final thing that I think for the last leg up of the market was the Fed statements about sort of wondering, are we, I don't know what exactly to infer, but I thought that there could be more QE buying. So that sent the 10-year higher and that put the banks a little bit higher. So that sort of started that last, I don't know, maybe 100 points of the rally. So that was the recipe for today. But the, who knows what tomorrow could be? Yeah, and what we have seen also, Tim, and I know you, you've been noting this, is the steepening of the yield curve. And in fact, take a look at our chart of the day. It's the twos ten spread. Um, this is the widest since June. And we have seen a strong rally, at least today, uh, in the regional banks, as well as the financial sector overall in the S&P 500. <clears throat> Yeah, anything that is tied to inflation, reflation, uh, or steepening of the yield curve, higher rates, uh, is, is doing well. In fact, I think that was more of the story today, uh, and I think it's more of the theme that's consistent 
uh, not only over the last three or four sessions, but really, I think over the last couple months, I, I, I would go on to say that this on again, off again, what type of stimulus reminds me so much of the trade war where somehow we were able to turn negative news into, hey, what, you know what, let's come back and have it be less negative and net net that's positive, as you said, eight points higher than we were starting the session yesterday. Uh, I think if we look at those parts of the, the market that people want to invest in and in some sense we've been scratching our heads and saying, yeah, I know banks have problems. I know we're concerned at the impact of credit, but uh, I think largely there's a belief that the bank's balance sheets are in pretty good shape and that ultimately we're in a case here where uh, I think you are just waiting to see some of this news flow get to the other side and that banks look very attractive. The same thing I I think on some level would be holding for resource stocks. Look at the move in U.S. Steel today, up almost 10 percent. Look at look at the move in copper, two and a half percent. Look at Freeport Mac. Look at other resource names. We are in the middle of a housing boom. We are going to get an infrastructure uh, deal at some point. And I think these are the themes that investors can look at not day-to-day, but themes that are actually working over the course of one to two months. Yeah. Dan, your take on, on today's action? Just give me a question. Give me something specific. Rather, there's so much here, Mel. What, what do you want to kind of diffuse <laughs> it down to? What do you want, like, a hot take on? Give me, are you, give are me you, something. Are you, fading, you are you fading the move today? Would you fade no, the move I, today? I, listen, I don't think you could, Listen, I, just so you know, I haven't been fading these moves. You know, I think that the market got really hot in July and August. It felt like a blow off top. We said it every day. We looked kind of stupid. And then we had a 10% peak to trough decline in the S&P 500. It's been banging around here. The amount of misinformation that's going on about, you know, Tim just called it. It kind of reminds us of the trade talks. I think it's really important to remember, where did the trade talks get us? Where did it get us? Other than a bunch of nonsense. Other than a bunch. Did you guys see that trade deficit that we have? It's the largest that we've had since 2006. Where did the trade deficit get us? It actually got us to some good old-fashioned socialists helping out our farmers, helping out our manufacturers. We're going to be talking about airlines, that sort of thing. All that stuff added. It was like accelerant on the downside when the market crashed, when the economy crashed earlier this year. So now we are waiting for tweets and headlines about further fiscal stimulus that the Fed chair is begging for. He's begging for it. He's done his part. He's put in $4 trillion this year. He's saying to Congress and he's saying to the White House, right? And he's saying to the Treasury, we need your help. You have to pick up the baton. So we've already done $2 trillion in fiscal and now they want another 2.2. And so we've got these equity gains. The S&P 500 is up 5% on the year. So if that is a gauge of the president's performance, if we're going to spend $8 trillion to get a 5% return on the S&P 500 and we still have 20 million Americans out of work. I don't know what we're talking about here. I think that's a really interesting take because the bottom line here, guys, is that the impact on the economy is much deeper than than the up and down movements of the stock markets. If we we're talking about stimulus that doesn't happen or stimulus that is delayed. And is the market actually factoring that in or is it willing to look past that? I mean, how can it look past uh, that impact? No, it's it's a it's an it's a it's an excellent point. I mean, I've said this for a while now as well. The 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 chasm, the 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 divide between the real economy and the stock market continues to widen out. And there are 30 million of our fellow Americans on some way, shape, or form of aid in a population of 350 or so million. That's a devastating number, and it doesn't seem to be getting better anytime soon. But you know, I think we're all tasked here with trying to figure out what's going to happen with the market. And to that point, when you have this kind of rhetoric and this kind of stimulus talk, 
Uh, it, it is supportive. With that said, I know you're a prize fighting fan, and I bring this up for a reason. There was a great Muhammad Ali interview with Howard Cosell, and Cosell turned to Ali and said, you're quite truculent tonight. And Ali looked at uh, Cosell quizzically and said, if that means the greatest of all time, I'm truculent. Dan this evening is extraordinarily <laughs> truculent, Mel. And does it mean truculent or the greatest of all time? <laughs> Go. Well, you went to Harvard. Go. You know the answer. All right, let's move on here. Airline stocks joining the rally on Wall Street today. Check out the moves of the major carriers. JetBlue, American United, Delta, Southwest, all soaring today. The optimism fueled by a tweet from President Trump calling for an immediate $25 billion stimulus package for the airline sector. Let's bring in Helene Becker, senior transportation analyst at Cowan. She joins us on the Fastlane uh, line. Helene, always great to speak with you. Oh, thanks for having me, Melissa. Um, this $25 billion in stimulus money to the airlines, it would specifically be for payrolls. And, and you had said, in my, according to my notes, that it would be nice. I mean, in, in what way? In that, in that the airlines don't necessarily need it, that perhaps they should actually go forward and cut jobs because that is probably what they need to eventually do? Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you take very good notes. Um, so, so what... You know, what I've said in the past was I didn't think there was much appetite in Washington for a second stimulus plan. And I still am not convinced that there's a lot of appetite. I know everybody has said, you know, they're supportive of it. But what are they going to say when labor comes to um, Washington and asks for help? And, you know, four airlines, Allegiant, um, Southwest Delta, and Spirit did not take the second loan. Um, the money that was made available on, on September 30th that goes through March um, of, of 2021. Um, and so there is money that's on the table that can be reallocated to the airlines that need it. Um, but, you know, and it's cheap money, right, because the government will loan the money to the airlines at a far lower cost than they're going to go out, and, especially American, will go out and borrow um, in the marketplace. But to your point, at some point, level, we have to acknowledge the fact that we're 65% of where we were, 70% of where we were a year ago. Um, and, you know, what I said this morning to our sales force is that you, you, we're flying 900,000 people a day um, on weekends and holidays. We think we'll be at a million by year end for the year end holidays. It, that's leisure traffic back. That's visiting friends and relatives and pretty good leisure. What's missing is business and um, international, and business isn't coming back until companies figure out how to go back to work and how to receive visitors, and um, international is not coming back until countries open their borders. So it's not that people don't want to fly. It's that their governments aren't letting them fly. Um, and from the airline perspective, if you're flying and the number of people you were flying 35 or 40 years ago then you need to figure out how to size your airline for maybe not 35 or 40 years ago because I think there's a lot of pent-up demand, and I think by, you know, 2023, 2024, we'll, we'll be in a pretty good spot. Um, and there's a whole lot, I mean, we don't have time to talk about the whole lot of issues they have with if they let pilots go and it takes a year to retrain them, mm -hmm. and then you have, you know, all these pilots retiring. We... we um, you know, about a year ago, United said they were going to hire 10,000 pilots over the 2020-2030 time frame. And you can bet American and Delta were going to hire at least as many. And, you know, now they're begging their pilots to retire early so they don't have to let the, the junior pilots go because it'll take a year to retrain them. So, so much going on 
And, you know, I think in the end, you can, you can send as much money down the airline's way, but you're talking about $70 billion balance sheets and $15 billion in revenue. And at some level, that's not going to work out long term very well for anybody. Landis, Karen, thanks for being on. I know you're very experienced in the space and seen a bunch of cycles and bankruptcies and rebuilding to, you know, what were peak years just a year ago. Do you think, though, that the law of the jungle should sort of apply and that the government should let should not lend to this specific industry over others and let let the chips fall where they may? And if that's on the equity, so be it. Yeah. Um, hi, Karen. Um, thanks for the question. So here's here's how I'm thinking about that. Um, you know, nobody misses Pan Am, TWA, and Eastern Airlines. I mean, most people don't even remember them. American Delta and United um, absorbed all their roots very nicely. Thank you very much. Um, and I think at this point, frankly, a bankruptcy filing for any one of these airlines um, would mean a liquidation. I don't think it would be too easy to restructure the airline. Um, do I think the, the government should let the airlines fail? Probably not, only because, you know, the airline industry, um, well, travel and tourism is 5% of GDP. And every one airline job creates 13 jobs in the United States behind it. And that's, you know, across the board, that's airport workers, rideshare people, restaurants, hotels, such an ecosystem that it's a hard thing to destroy. Um, and and so, so I think they should be supportive, but you know, I suppose they, they should be supportive um, where it makes sense. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, you know, like I said before, I think the industry needs to figure out what it should look like. There are a lot of, you know, we, we've done 10 years worth of aircraft retirement mm-hmm. in, in six months. Um, you know, we probably didn't do very many aircraft retirements in the last five or seven years. As, as Karen, you pointed out, the airlines were, were having, you know, great years and doing well. But that's all got to change if we're going to have a successful, you, you know, economy. You need a successful airline industry to have a successful economy. And, and that needs to get done. So, Helene. Um, um, yes, ma'am. Assuming that uh, Speaker Pelosi and, and President Trump are listening to this program this evening, what would you would you say to them? Don't spend that twenty five billion on this industry right now. Um, yeah, I probably would say you know think about how you really want to spend twenty five billion dollars, and um, and and maybe now it's not the exact right time to do it. All right, Helene, always great to get your take. Thanks so much. Thank you. Helene Becker of Cowan. Um, and, and by the way, I was in Squawk on the Street this morning and spoke to Jamie Baker uh, of J.P. Morgan, who is another airline analyst, and he basically said the same thing, Tim. It is amazing that these airline analysts, with the insight into the industry, are willing to say, you know what, this money will not be well spent because the airlines need to do a little bit of belt tightening um, according to this new reality that we live in. Yeah, and, and if, you, if you look at Delta, who's going to report next week, uh, you know, the numbers are something like revenues down uh, 70% for the third quarter and expenses down only 50 um, And I realize there's, there are fixed uh, expenses that they can't cut back on, but, but I, I, I would fall in line as well and 
far be it for me to argue with the airline analysts, but but to the extent that um, I'm not this this money to me is more about politics. This is not um, you know me casting uh, insensitivity over job loss. This is me. We're looking at the airline industry and we're trying to understand um, the, the health of the industry and how money should be allocated. Uh, ultimately, though, um, yesterday's trade in the airlines was was really painful. The question is, what do you want to do today for tomorrow? And if you look at a company like Delta, they have more than enough liquidity to get through here. And if you listen to Helene, who's obviously a very experienced senior analyst, uh, one of the top in her profession, um, she's looking at Delta out two to three years and trying to discount back. And what's the number you put on it? And, and I believe she's got a $36 share price. But ultimately, that's the trade with airlines, is, are the ones that are going to be here on the other side that don't have to raise debt that will be dilutive and, in fact, could be unsecured and those that can control their own destiny. All right. Coming up, Unlocking Magic, the bold call from an activist investor that sent Disney shares shooting higher. The first major new development out of Eli Lilly today in the race for a COVID cure. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Eli Lilly jumping today as a drug maker asks the FDA to fast track its COVID antibody drug. Let's get to Meg Terrell for the details. Hi, Meg. Hey, Melissa, Eli Lilly saying it's filed for emergency use authorization of its antibody drug for COVID-19. This comes just weeks after they presented the first data on it, calling it proof of concept data. Uh, and essentially, uh, they've already filed for this approval. Now, they also presented data today on a combination of two antibodies. That's a more similar approach to what Regeneron's pursuing, showing that it reduced viral load. And they plan to file an emergency use authorization for that next month. Now, they have a lot more supply of the single antibody. They say a million doses in the fourth quarter, uh, whereas the combo therapy, they'd have 50,000 doses available uh, in the fourth quarter. We talked with Eli Lilly CEO Dave Ricks today about how they're looking at potentially pricing this. Here's what he said. We want to make sure this is available at low or zero cost really around the world. Now, uh, we've put a lot of our time and energy into this. We've, we're incurring costs by manufacturing it. We certainly want to recoup those. But whatever price we, we put it out there, it creates value in the health care system in terms of reduction in other costs and does so rather quickly. Now, Melissa, he's not giving an actual price that they're planning on there, but saying essentially they're looking at potential tiered pricing for developed countries versus less developed countries, uh, the latter of which they would consider more of philanthropic pricing. Melissa? Is it a correct assumption to make, Meg, that the cocktail would be more effective than the single antibody drug? Yes, it was pretty clear in the data. It looked better than the single antibody drug. Uh, and also that approach is thought to be better because it avoids the, um, the potential risk of resistance rising to the single antibody. Okay. Meg, thanks. Meg Terrell with all the details here on Eli Lilly. Guy, how do you trade Lilly? I like Lilly. It's pulled back from that 170 all-time high we made back in July. It's had a decent pullback. It's rallying now. I don't think this is the reason to buy it. I think there are many other reasons that we've talked about over the last year or so. Valuation is a little concerning, but in the earnings on the 27th, I think you own it. And the other one, by the way, might be more interesting is Bristol-Myers off that myocardia deal a week or so ago. I know Jim Cramer had the CEO on. You know, Bristol is sort of, and I rarely say this, but BMY in terms of a catch-up trade to the to this space in general, 
might be interesting here, too. It is amazing that that myocardia deal got basically no coverage <laughs> because of all the coverage of Regeneron and, and some of the treatment makers here. Um, Tim, you've said repeatedly in the past that, uh, you know, along with the others, that treatments are not the reason to buy or sell any of these stocks at this point. I, I don't think so. I think the price action ultimately has, has uh, proven that out. Um, I, you know, I would look at, first of all, I agree with Guy on Lilly. It trades at a premium to the peer group, though, for a reason. I, I think the high quality of the portfolio, the momentum behind uh, really their broader business is why the stock has traded at a premium. And this this pullback has been something to buy. Biotech overall also, uh, you know, looks like it's picking up momentum again. A um, couple big deals in the space, Gilead with a big deal. But ultimately, balance sheets and, and, and largely uh, companies that I think have proven a, a pipeline that at least, you know, works overall. And the IBB is the way to play that. And that that is a chart that I think still looks like one of the best charts out there. Biotech as a component of healthcare, of course. I mean, Dan, no matter who gets elected, it is obvious that a lot of these companies are vital um, to this uh, U.S. economy in terms of the development of treatments and vaccines. We've leaned on them very heavily through this pandemic. Um, and, and maybe effectively now they have a government backstop, government backing. Yeah, they do until the virus is gone. And you think about this antibody um, drug that you're talking about here, it, you know, and you asked the right question, Amel. From what I can tell, it is the cocktail that is most effective. We spent a lot of time over the weekend talking about the president's um, treatment with these cocktails. They are expensive. They are difficult to manufacture. They are difficult to administer. They are via, uh, from an IV. Um, so when you think about this, what it means for the economy or whatever, you know, really, we got to get to a vaccine because these are not the answer to reopening the economy. These are answers to treating very sick people. And what did the CAO say? They have a million in the fourth quarter or something like that. That's just not going to cut it. Right. We've well, got much more ahead on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. An unusual move by an activist investor sending shares of Disney higher. But will this story have a happy ending? We'll bring you the trade. And later, if what's for dinner is leftovers, this stock could be the big winner. We'll tell you what it is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney shares moving higher as an activist investor takes new aim. Third Point Capital's Dan Loeb calling for the media giant to end its $3 billion annual dividend and to use those funds to create more Disney Plus content. Loeb writing a letter to Disney CEO Bob Chapek saying the ability to drive subscriber growth, reduce churn and increase pricing present the opportunity to create tens of billions of dollars in incremental value for Disney shareholders in short order and hundreds of billions once the platform reaches larger scale. For more, let's bring in Rich Greenfield, media and technology analyst at Lightshed Partners. Rich, great to have you with us. Um, you've been a Disney critic for a long time. You have a sell rating on the stock, and, and you've actually called for a lot of these things uh, that Mr. Loeb is calling for himself. I'm wondering, though, because back in May, Disney announced that it would suspend its dividend for the first half of the fiscal year. Uh, is there a thinking at all that maybe that dividend doesn't even come back, that there isn't even a dividend to reallocate? You know, look, I think right now Disney's obviously facing some sort of the perfect storm of challenges, right? I mean, you've got theme parks that, you know, some of them are still closed, like California. And Newsom was out today. Governor Newsom was saying that they're not opening anytime soon. The Florida parks are open. But again, open is a is a technical term. You know, there's you know well under 50,000 people in all of Walt Disney World on a daily basis right now. Normally, there's 150 to 160,000 people on an average day. And so... 
the parks are pretty empty. They're, you know, yes, they're, they're, you know, overall, they're in a tough standpoint from the parks. Obviously, the cruise ships obviously are not in operation. You know, you look at the movie business, can't release a movie probably till sometime late or middle to late of next year. They're in a really difficult position. So I think in the near term, the dividend is probably going to be centered around or they're probably going to be suspending the dividend until the, the business is back up and running the way it normally would be in a, in a sort of when we've dealt with COVID. But we 100 percent agree with everything Loeb argued for in that letter. We really think that's what Disney needs to do if they want to become Netflix. They've got to pivot their business dramatically faster than they are right now. They're just doing this in a in an incremental step function rather than just going all in and really taking the opportunity and seizing it. I mean, do you think that it should want to be Netflix? Why does it have to be Netflix per se? I mean, doesn't it need all of the other elements to its portfolio in order to create the flywheel that makes that content more attractive to subscribers who probably also, by the way, have a Netflix subscription? We did an analysis that looked at what were Disney's revenues. So if you look at Disney's movie revenues or the studio revenues that Disney creates, you could actually add both Disney Studio and Warner Brothers Studio. And Netflix is now generating greater revenue and is on its way shortly to generating more profit than those two businesses. And so I think the reality is, is when you look at the scale that subscription video on demand, SVOD, Netflix, when you look at the scale and the economics that that brings you, there is a far greater kind of pot of gold on the other side moving to streaming than living in this world of first we put it out in theaters, then we put it out on DVD, and then it ends up in you know HBO, streaming, whatever, in terms of that window. Just going full streaming. And you know the, the reason I have my background today, I've got Simpsons, Mickey Mouse Club, and Moana behind me. Those are the trending titles on Disney+. Plus. Like This is what Loeb is talking about. There's no new content on Disney+. Plus. They're not producing enough content. Those three shows have been like number one for almost the entire first year of Disney+. Plus. They need to get far more aggressive with the content they're spending on. I think moving movies, getting rid of windows and putting more movies like Black Widow, like they can really gun the movie side, but they also can just spend more money on TV shows and other forms of content as well. Hey, Rich, it's Dan. Um, what's the number? You know, you just quantified the dividend at, at three billion. What's the number that Disney needs to spend on originals for Disney Plus to compete with what Netflix is doing? 15, 16, 17 billion a year. What would be something that would get you excited um, in 2020? Well, first of all, you, you got to reform the question a little bit um, in that. Remember, Disney has three streaming services. Like, first things first, like, they should just get rid of, get, get out of ESPN. Like, just spin it off, get rid of it. Cable, the, the, the legacy sports cable network business is not fixable. That is a drag and a management distraction. So I'd get rid of the ESPN business and, and move that off to somebody else and let somebody else try to fix that business or handle that business and harvest cash flow. But then you've got the remainder of the business. You've got really two streaming services, Hulu and Disney+. Plus. There's no reason that you really need two services, two separate logons. Right now they have three with ESPN Plus, and they're talking about making a fourth in Star Overseas. I would go all in, put them all together, have one service. Dan argues this point. We've been writing about this issue for the last 18 months. Have one service, call it whatever, Disney Plus, Disney Plus Hulu. I don't really care, but have one service. That way you leverage all of the content of the two services together. So sort of lessens the load that you're talking about in terms of how much. But Disney probably needs to increase their content spend probably two to three X, at least at a minimum, if not four or five X. But 
they could accomplish a lot of that by redirecting content spend. And so instead of putting all of these movies into movie theaters, maybe it's a two-week window and then these movies show up on Disney Plus rather than waiting, you know, uh, waiting 75, 90 days. Like that doesn't make sense in 2020. Disney's greatest asset, when you think about the lifeblood of the Walt Disney Company, it's their movies. They should put the movies sooner, really soon, Mm -hmm. onto Disney+. Plus. That's what would drive new subs. I mean, think about it. My 87-year-old uncle signed up for Disney+, Plus because he wanted to watch Hamilton. Like, Mm -hmm. that is the power of fresh movies on Disney+. Plus. They should learn from Hamilton and go all in. Rich, thank you. Great to see you. Thanks for having Rich me, Melissa. Lightshed Partners. Um, if they started making movies, Karen, that would only have a two-week window or so, I would imagine this really changes the face of the movie industry in terms of what is spent on a movie and what is meant by a blockbuster. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, all, we're seeing such dramatic changes in the movie theater business that started well before the pandemic, and the pandemic just seems to accelerated. So that that dynamic has obviously been hurting Disney as well. Um, But it's interesting, Rich, I read the notes had that 83% of the streaming was Netflix, YouTube, and Amazon Prime. And it makes me wonder what what is left for the everybody else. So I mean, they've got to spend a lot of money. Disney has spent a lot of money to try to build this out. But I am they also have a lot of debt from the Fox acquisition. So just back to Dan's point, Dan, uh, Loeb, absolutely, don't pay the dividend. It's not worth it. You don't get anything for it versus what you need the money for. I mean, again, right now, they've suspended the dividend, so it's sort of maybe an issue for down-the-line guy. But do you like Rich's uh, forecast or, or outlook for Disney? I mean, do you like his prescription for the business in terms of getting rid of ESPN, just writing that business off entirely because it's failing? Well, you know, they could make. Well, it's failing, but they, you know, they could turn ESPN to something if they had if they had a hankling to get into the obviously the online gambling business. Because, quite frankly, that ESPN platform could be tremendous for that. But I'm with Rich on that one. Number one, number two, the great Tom Rogers, who comes on our show all the time, has been outspoken in his questioning of how Disney's going to turn this into a profitable endeavor. You know, he thinks this is three to five years out. With all of that said. You go back to spring of 2019, 120 had been the line in the sand, resistance on the upside, finally broke out, 120 has been support. We've actually talked about that on this show. In terms of risk-reward, where the stock traded down to yesterday is a great entry point. I think you could trade Disney here on the long side, given that uh, support level and given the news with Dan Loeb. Tammy, your shareholder, what do you think of what Dan Loeb is proposing? Look, I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm not surprised that, that uh, that's been brought forward. But the, the company already has, has, I think, made it clear that they are conserving the balance sheet and they're at least taking more conservative stance. If you look at their look, their last quarter, remember the stock popped on that numbers uh, and it popped because they showed profitability nobody expected because they've been squeezing expenses down and, and I think showing their ability. Uh, if you look at Disney Plus, the fact that they are in the bottom end of the five-year forecast range means that profitability there will come faster. Um, I, I can't dispute the content need. Um, and, and, and by the way, bravo to Netflix, because at least from my perspective, for the first four or five years they were in business, um, this was a portal. It wasn't a content play, and it was always a big challenge. If, if Disney is now competing with that as the hallmark, 
um, it's interesting. But I still think, again, the flywheel, as we discuss, is a powerful part of their business. And I think it's still something that's got intrinsic value. All right. Still ahead from Disney's dividend to big oil dividends. Are they in danger? We'll tell you what we're seeing in the options market. But first, a shock jock stock pop. How Howard Stern turned up the volume on one media company today. We got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Sirius XM jumping today on reports. The satellite radio operator is close to inking a new deal with Howard Stern. The contract would give the radio host around $120 million a year. Sirius also increasing its dividend by 10%. And the stock got an upgrade today at Credit Suisse. Um, it's up a 4.5% today. Dan, this is your final trade yesterday. So what do you make of the stock? What do you make of the developments today? Yeah, I mean, listen, Howard Stern said on his show this morning that he doesn't know about the contract, but if they want to pay him $120 million for five years, he'll take it sight unseen. Um, listen, I think this is um, a really important rehire for them. They don't want to see him go. We know that Spotify is in a um, podcast arms race. They, they're spending a lot of money to attract that sort of talent. Howard Stern is their kind of, uh, you know, flag in, in the sand, so to speak. So to me, it's really important. I know the Credit Suisse analyst, um, you know, he kind of ex- expected that if Stern were to leave, that would be a churn of about 15% of their subscribers. They don't want that to happen. I don't think that will happen. So at the stock at 580 here, I think you probably have some room to the upside. Maybe you get back to seven in the near term on any good news about re-signing Stern. Dan mentioned the arms race um, in terms of what Spotify is paying whom to have podcasts there. Joe Rogan, a Kardashian. I mean, it is amazing, Guy, um, the importance of star power these days to some of these outlets. I'm shocked that nobody's approached you, Mel, or maybe you're just <laughs> not telling us. Am I going to wake up one day and see Melissa Lee signs no one a huge wants to deal with Sirius? Talk about anything. 120 million <laughs> for three years. I mean, I could see that coming for sure. First of all, I mean, I, I was never a stern guy, so it makes no sense to me. But I understand what's going on here. It's clearly an arms race. I think Spotify, and you know, I think Steve Grasso's talked about this one. 386. That's the place to be. You know, I don't have the Sirius radio. Every time I put the antenna on my car, it gets knocked off. So it's a bit problematic, but I do have a Spotify account, and that's the way I would play this. You know that the antenna comes up out of the car, and you don't have to put the hanger on top? You know, the clothes hanger? That's not how you do it, the aluminum foil? They don't even have antennas anymore. You know, the laugh track is lame. If they're going to do a laugh track, do a good laugh track. That one ain't cutting it. I'm just saying. Okay, old man shouting at the cloud. Coming up, (laughs) there may be danger lurking in the energy market, and options traders may be the ones to prove it. We'll tell you why ahead. But first, the one fast food joint seeing hot profits thanks to cold pizza. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Restaurant sales are starting to rebound as diners make their way back to the table, but those gains may not be coming out of the kitchen fast enough. Let's get to Kate Rogers with the details. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. Well, restaurant sales and traffic are heading in the right direction, but they still have a long way to go. For the week ended September 27th, Black Box Intelligence reports same-store sales are down 7.4% year-on-year, while same-store traffic is also down 13.5%. That continues the improvement that we have seen in recent week. Consumers also continue to favor fast food and quick service concepts. They're also spending more money when they dine out. 
Blackbox reports that average customer spending is up 7.2% during the week year on year, even as stimulus has, of course, run out. Consumer spending more is a trend that we saw from nearly every major restaurant chain last quarter, starting with Domino's. The pizza company will report third quarter earnings pre-market on Thursday, and analysts are projecting EPS of $2.79 on revenues of $953 million. Same-store sales are projected to increase 13.9% domestically. Last quarter, they jumped around 16%. CEO Rich Allison also said last quarter that consumers were buying more potentially to have leftovers. The pandemic has been a huge boost for both Papa John's and Domino's. The pizza chain stocks, they're up over 30 and 45% year-to-date, Melissa. Back over to you. Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers. Okay, on the panel, raise your hand if you've ordered extra <clears throat> takeout to specifically have leftovers. Tim. Yeah. Oh, Karen, too. Karen's a surprise. Um, so maybe yeah. this whole thing is, is not. Yeah, especially pizza. I mean, pizza's great leftover. You have a cold. You can reheat it. I mean, there's so many yeah. different ways to, to repurpose that pizza. Um, for that reason, Tim, would you be on board DPZ? <laughs> um, repurposing pizza, which is what we do. <laughs> Look, it's, my seven-year-old will only eat pizza, okay? So every parent's got that kid, and that's one of them. Um, and I think if you look, though, at the higher ticket sales, also, I think look, largely people are eating out less. So when they do, they're comfortable spending more. Uh, and if you think about the trends that Kate just talked about, also, uh, the foot traffic is down uh, significantly more than the sales numbers are down. But but as we've seen in the market, there are those uh, folks that have been outliers here. Look at Chipotle um, is having a monster, monster kind of post-COVID run, or I guess we're in the middle of it, sadly. Um, and McDonald's, we talked about over the last couple of days in terms of what drive-through and digital has meant. But again, digital programs, loyalty programs, uh, and, and, and re-rating in these stock prices on the perception that because of those uh, dynamics, these companies are worth more. Mm-hmm. And I think those companies are starting to separate themselves. The drive-through trade is gold during this pandemic, Guy. It looks like McDonald's this is a new high today for the stock. Yeah, we've been talking about McDonald's for a while. I mean, yeah, the drive-through trade is gold. And again, the techno- this is a technology play. Again, you know, giving Stephen more props. Steve Grasso talked about DPZ being a technology play years ago. I think Jim Cramer did as well. And as you know, Melissa, I've had a number of different jobs in my uh, 30 years at CNBC. One of them <laughs> was actually working at Domino's. And I know the crack staff back in EC Look at you right spread now that firing sauce up there the video. On that pie. Rolling yeah. out the, the, the dough. I mean, work? you look like a real pro there. I don't look like anything. I am. And I'll say that ever since that employment. <laughs> no, I was not, Tim. My hair was pristine. Uh, the stock I mean, has only gone up. I caution people. Domino's is not cheap. I think we can all speak to that. Two quarters ago, it had a 30% rally off earnings. I'm more inclined to say wait, hope they miss somehow, and try to buy this stock back around 380, which is where it sort of took off from in the beginning of September. You looked a little heavy-handed with the, the sausage topping there, Guy. So, I don't know. Pardon my, me? My take. On the video, you're putting Excuse toppings me? on the pizza. You put a lot oh. of sausage on no, there. No, no, I... You know, I, I, yeah, I just couldn't hear you that well. Sorry. All right. Coming up, dangerous dividends. We'll break down what options traders see lurking for this big oil stock. And later on, Mad Money, Jim is sitting down with the CEO of Levi's on the back of earnings at a 6 p.m. Eastern time. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. We continue to have a very strong balance sheet. So our dividend 
uh, is secure. We've stress tested uh, the the future scenarios at prices lower than we see today, and uh, and still have uh, plenty of capacity to uh, to pay the dividends. That was Chevron CEO Michael Worth defending his company's dividend this morning on Squawk Box. As crude prices continue to tumble, many are wondering if big oil dividends are, in fact, in danger. The answer to that question might lie in the options market. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. So obviously one of the other things that we're going to be looking at in Chevron, of course, is their earnings are going to be announcing later in the month. And right now the options market is implying a move of about 7.5% higher or lower by the end of the month after they report earnings. But the dividend question is obviously one that options options traders get a lot. And the reason for that is because you can buy stock or you can buy stock synthetically using options. And the principal difference between the two is that if you own the stock synthetically with options, you don't receive dividends because options don't receive them. And so we can compare the price of a synthetic equity position using options to that of the actual equity. I was looking at the January 2022 options, and you can back out using interest rates and the current price of the stock, essentially how much the options market is implying in terms of dividends. And there is a mild discount to what Chevron would otherwise be paying. Right now it's paying about $1.29 per quarter. There's five quarters that you would be receiving dividends between now and January 2022 expiration. And the cumulative dividends are probably about a dollar shy of what you would otherwise be getting. But is a discount like that material enough to think that the dividend is going to be cut or, or considerably reduced? And I don't think it really is. A bird in the hand typically is worth a little bit more than the one that you might receive in the future. So a little bit of a discount is what we would be expecting in a situation like this. And as the CEO was pointing out, in their case, it is reasonably well covered. The situation in Exxon, though, is perhaps not quite uh, as confident as far as the options market is concerned on the dividend front. Mike, I'm curious, have you found this method of, of trying to figure out if the options market is, is pricing in a dividend cut or a dividend elimination, has it been accurate in the past? Have you used that reliably? Well, it, it's very common, actually, for institutional options traders to actually do trades on dividends. I, you know, for a long time, uh, we do that. We do something called reversals and conversions, where we essentially try to capture, do dividend capture strategies. Uh, that is something you'll see sometimes when you see very high and unusual volume ahead of dividends. You'll see that kind of thing. There is some predictive capacity to it. But in this particular instance, I don't think that the Chevron dividend is in uh, a great deal of threat here. All right. Professor Coe, thank you, Mike Coe. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, the odd couple, Cole Hahn teaming up with this work from home staple for a brand new sneaker. You're taking a look at them right now. We've got the details when Fast Money returns. We are watching shares of Eli Lilly and Regeneron pop in the after-hour session on the back of a tweet from President Trump just moments ago. Uh, the president tweeting that Regeneron, Eli Lilly medications uh, were incredible the way it worked and that he will make it free for Americans to use. So we see Regeneron shares up by 3% right now. Lilly shares also seeing a move higher. Um, Guy Adami, I mean, th- this is big news for, for some of these shareholders, I would imagine. There's a guaranteed... Um, you know, purchase, basically. It's great. It's 
It's all great news. It's wonderful news. I think Eli Lilly is the way you play this, regardless of vaccine or not for them. Lilly is the play, Mel. Uh, by the way, he also says that he wants Regeneron therapy approved for emergency use. We'll continue to follow this. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Dan Nathan, what do you say? Uh, yeah, Palantir listed through a direct listing last week. I think on a multiple to Sarah's to many of its competitors, given its growth, I think Palantir is going higher. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, if Citigroup trades down on this news of the OCC fine of $400 million, I think it's a buy. $400 million for Citibank is really it's 20 cents share. It's not that much money. Tim, who's on the phone for us now. Tim? Yeah, look, I, I'm, I miss you all. I'm sorry about this. Uh, Freeport Mac getting back in, in, in gear with the resource trade. Copper up big, Freeport for 7.5%. I think it goes higher. Guy. I have the best Spotify playlist of all time. Check it out. Spot. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money starts right now.